Well, that was mediocre, wasn't it? <laughs> Today we're going to continue our study through First Peter. And uh, the focus of the message today is submission. The word submit in the Bible is a military term. It literally means to rank under. And submission is necessary in any relationship or any society or institution so that there might be order. In the second chapter of First Peter, Peter said that we are to submit ourselves to earthly or governmental authorities. Why? So that there might be order rather than anarchy. In chapter number one, he says that in the workplace, there is to be submission. Why? So that there might be production. And we come to a passage of Scripture today where he says that wives are to be submissive to their husbands. Now, I know that's a little strange to some of you. In fact, when I was coming in earlier, Betty Gabriel caught me and said, Are you speaking about the wife's submission to the husband? I said, Yes. She said, I don't think I'm going to be here today. So I understand that it's a little strange to some people, the, the concept. That there was a man who went into the library and said to the librarian, Do you have that book, Man, the Master of Woman? And she said, If we have it, it will be over in the fiction department. So just stay with me. I, I know that this is a little strange for some of you, but just stay with me through this, this entire message today. And let me give you a little bit of context for this. The Bible says that husbands are to love their wives. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul said, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, men, listen to me. You don't have to worry about your wife's submission. That's not your problem. You are to worry about loving your wife. That's your responsibility. So the Bible says, then, that the husband is to love his wife, just as Jesus loved the church. And then it says that the wife is to submit to her husband. In Ephesians 5, 22 and 23, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. Now, in the context of that verse, understand, ladies, that it is your choice to submit to your husband. It does not say that someone is to beat you into submission. It says that you are to choose submission. So within the context, then, of the teaching, it is husbands, love your wives, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, say, having said that, let's pick up where we left off last time. First Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And let your, not your adornment be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands." 
Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children, if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, as we look at these verses, he begins by giving us an example. The example is found in verse number 6, and the example of submission, he says, is Sarah. So she is the model for, for our message today. You see, models are important. Linda and I were blessed with good role models that we found many of them within the church. And that's the reason we recognize people who've been married 50 years and more, because I want them to serve as models for our young people who are growing up. So it's important that we have good models. Unfortunately, many of our young people today have models such as Brittany and Lindsay and so forth. And I think most of us would agree that's not working out too well. So the Bible says then that Sarah is to be your model. And she is to be your model of submission. Submission is difficult. And the primary reason, probably, that it is difficult is that the person to whom we submit is not a perfect person. And Abraham and Sarah did not have a perfect marriage. If we're going to use them as a model, they did not have a perfect marriage. There was the Hagar affair. You know the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, and and the Lord had said that they were going to have a child, and after some time had gone by, because they were old, Sarah said to Abraham, Abraham, I think the Lord might have missed this one. Maybe he didn't know how we were. Possibly what he had in mind was for you to go into my maid Hagar and have a child with her. Abraham, being the innocent, pure man that he was, said, I never thought of something like that. But, you know, it might not be a bad idea if that's what you want. And so after she coerced him, he agreed uh, to the task. And so then after a while, they, they had a child, and then Sarah did not feel the same way. She rejected the arrangement. And so the Bible says in Genesis 21:10, therefore, she said, Sarah said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. So she was the one who suggested it, but then she didn't particularly like it. So there was the Hagar affair. And then there was the problem of bringing the, the blended families together. You know that in time, Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, and then Abraham and Hagar had Ishmael. And Ishmael was mean to Isaac, and so Sarah didn't like that. But there was that problem of bringing together these, this blended family. And then there was the nomadic lifestyle. They were nomads. They were constantly moving. You know, just about the time she got her nest all prepared, Abraham was moving somewhere else. So I say all that simply to say to you that it was not a perfect example. Their marriage was not a perfect marriage. And so it was difficult. Submission is difficult for all of us within our marriages. We have, we come into marriage with a different understanding as to what family is. The wife growing up over here has her understanding as to what family is, and the man growing up over here has his understanding as to what family is, and they are not necessarily the same. See, I grew up in a home where I thought that the 
the mother and the wife was supposed to cook. Linda came from a long line of non-cookers. And so we had a different understanding as to what marriage was. And then there's the different understanding of finances. Someone grew up in a home where they thought money was to be spent. And the other grew up in a home where they believed that money was to be saved. And then our role, our understanding of roles is different. So what I'm saying is that it is hard for us to submit to someone because our understanding of marriage and what constitutes the family is not the same. But if we build our marriage on the Word of God, then we can successfully fulfill the Word of God. Abraham and Sarah did. They, they had difficulty, but they had a successful marriage. They made it through those early years. They went from his understanding of marriage and her understanding of marriage to their understanding of marriage. And that's what has to happen. You young marrieds and you who will be married someday, understand that, that there is going to be a different opinion as to what the family is. And you're going to have to come to the place that it is our understanding of what family is. Well, they also made it through those dreadful middle years. I know there's some of you and you think, man... I'll be glad when we've been married 15 years and we'll have all this stuff worked out. I got bad news for you. I'll be glad when I'm 45 and I don't have these problems anymore. Oh, no, it, it just doesn't work that way. Someone said that youth looks forward, the old look back, and the middle aged look worried. And so they made it through those years. And then, then they survived the golden years, you know, when you're no longer romantic but rheumatic. But they made it through that. And, and your marriage can be a success if you are willing to build it upon the foundation of God's Word. You remember Jesus telling the story about two men who were going to build a house. And he said that, that one, uh, to dig his foundation, dug down deep and 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 came to bedrock, and he built on the bedrock. And the other one sort of took a shortcut, and he built on a sandy foundation. And then when the storms came, the one stood that was built on the solid foundation. And ladies and gentlemen, the solid foundation for marriage is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Now, then what do you build on that foundation? You go down to the foundation of God's Word, and you build there. And the structure that you build must also be built on the Word of God. I would suggest to some of you that you throw away about half the books you have and go to the book of Proverbs. If you really want to know about marriage and you want to know about children, you want to know about those things, you'll find most of it in the book of Proverbs. Just read the Proverbs because it is a practical uh, counsel for us, especially concerning marriage. So the example here is Sarah. And then he says, now, you are daughters of Sarah. Look at verse number 6 again. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children, if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. So here's what he is saying. Now, the example for marriage and for submission is Sarah, and he says, and you are her daughters. Now, what do we learn from her? Well, first of all, the proper attitude. Look at verse number 5. For 
In this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. Now, it says that, that Sarah called Abraham Lord. I've underlined that in Linda's Bible. I think there's just something quaint and neat about it, you know, Lord. But I was reading various commentaries on it. I came across a commentary that said this might be a display of humor. That uh, Sarah might actually be referring back, or Peter might be referring back, to Genesis chapter 18, verse number 12. Now, you recall that God came to Abraham and Sarah and told them they were going to have a child uh, next year. Now, at that time, Abraham was 99 years old. And Sarah was no spring chicken. She was 90, but she was younger than him. And so the Bible says in Genesis 18:12, And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure my Lord being old also? I don't know if it was humorous or not, but that's what one commentary thought, that here is a man who's 99 years old, and, and he is, you know, parading around the house like I'm going to be a daddy. And uh, she called him Lord. I, I don't know if that is right or not. But she had the right attitude. She understood that sub- submission is an obligation. And folks, submission is an obligation. We understand that through Jesus, because Jesus, though he is a member of the Trinity, the Son God the Son submitted himself to God the Father. And so the Bible says in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the Bible says that Jesus, God the Son, submitted himself to God the Father. There was submission. The Bible says that we are to be submissive. Men, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 3, that you are to submit yourself to Christ. Wives, it says that you are to submit yourself to your husband. And then the Bible says that we are to submit ourselves to each other. The Scripture says in Ephesians 5.21, Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So understand as a believer that submission is an obligation. Now you might want to reject it. You might want to throw it out. You might want to say, well, that's not for modern society. That's fine if that's what you want to do, but the Bible has not thrown it out. It is there. Therefore, it is an obligation to a believer. But it also is an opportunity. Now, look at verses 1 and 2. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Now, within the context of this, it appears that we have here some Christian women who married men who were not Christians. Now, the problem. How would these Christian women lead their husbands to Christ? 
How would they be able to lead their husbands to Christ? Because it was considered that a woman was property at that time. Now, if you are considered by society to be property, how then are you going to lead your husband to Christ? You see, that was true within Jewish law. Barclay said, under Jewish law, a woman was a thing. She was owned by her husband in exactly the same way as he owned his sheep and his goats. It was also true in Greek society. Barclay wrote, in Greek civilization, the duty of the woman was to remain indoors and to be obedient to her husband. It was also true within Roman law. Barclay wrote, under Roman law, a woman had no rights. In law, she remained forever a child. So the question then, within that society at that time, how could a woman lead her husband to Christ if he were not a Christian? Solutions there in verse number one. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. Without a word. That they may be one without a word. Now, that is not a reference to the gospel. Because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We know that the Word of God is necessary within salvation. So he's not talking about the gospel there. So what's he talking about? He's talking about nagging. Bless your hearts, ladies. You cannot nag your husband into heaven if he isn't a Christian. I saw a bumper sticker this last week. And I'd never seen it before. But it said, I don't nag I'm a motivational speaker. <laughs> well, you might think of yourself in those terms. I don't nag, I'm a motivator. But I, I have known dear Christian women who thought they were going to nag their husbands into the kingdom. And so, you know, they get creative. They get little scriptures and cut them out and paste them up on the mirror so he'll see them when he's shaving. And they'll get a little scripture and paste on his six-pack so that it says, uh, wine is a mocker. So that he'll see that whenever he starts to get something out of that. That's not going to work. He says, no, without a word. Then how do you do it? He says, by their behavior. He is saying that these women who had a real challenge had the opportunity of leading their husbands to the Lord by their behavior. Augustine, in Confessions, wrote about his mother, who was a witness to his father. And he wrote, she served him as her Lord, and did her diligence to win him unto thee, preaching thee unto him by her behavior. Ruth Graham wrote, it is the woman's job to love her husband, it is God's job to make him good. So there is the attitude, and then he talks about adornment. Now, there are two kinds of beauty that he talks about here. There's external beauty. We see that in verse number 3. He said, And let not your adornment be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses. 
Now, the, in the ancient world, beauty was given to extravagance. And I've seen some of the pictures and read some of the, uh, of the, of the history about it. But women would have hair all made up. I mean, they looked like they were from Texas. They had the big hair. And they had the gold and silver and, and jewels in there. And they had the clothes on that were, had, were jeweled. They were very extravagant. Lucius Valerius wrote, Women cannot hold public offices or priesthoods or gain triumphs. They have no public occupations. What then can they do but devote their time to adornment and dress? And so that's what he's dealing with here. So Peter gives some counsel again in verse number 3. Let not your adornment be merely external braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. Now here's the caution, because some have come to this verse and said, well, the Bible teaches that you, are, you know you're not to wear makeup, you're not to wear jewelry. You're not. Well, it also says dresses. So I just wanted to caution you, if you get into there and your interpretation of the Scriptures, well, a woman is not supposed, Christian woman is not supposed to wear jewelry and all of that stuff. Well, it also says dresses in there, so just so that you'll be scriptural all the way. So there's external beauty, and then there's internal beauty in verse number 4. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. True beauty is internal. And he says that it is imperishable. Listen, real beauty, real beauty is inside. It is internal. We all know that external beauty is perishable. Father time and Mother Nature takes their toll. And everybody ends up with a Supreme Court figure. No appeal. So it is it is. It is Perishable, but internal beauty is imperishable. So he said, in a gentle and quiet spirit. And that speaks of serenity, of someone who is at peace with God and themselves. Now, ladies, he is not saying at all in this verse that you are to be a mousy person. What he's saying is be who God created you to be. That's who you're to be. I'm grateful for my wife. You know, she now she just, she loves all that Texas stuff. You know, the big hair and the colors and so forth. And I'm so grateful that she does that. That might not be for you, but you're not married to her, so that's that's just fine. Be who you are. Be who you are. That's what you're supposed to be. So there's the proper attitude, and then he talks about adornment, and then he talks about activity. There in verse number 6, it says, Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham. The word obeyed there means to meet his needs. To meet his needs. Maybe that goes back to the Garden of Eden where it says that the wife, that Eve, was a helpmate, which means to complete. She completed him. There are some who think that this is a reference to meeting sexual needs. And one's sexual needs are to be met by the spouse. The Bible says in Proverbs 5.19, As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. Guys, listen. One of the great burdens in my heart and concerns in my heart is that the Internet pornography is killing families. and It's killing our guys. That's not where your sexual needs are to be met. Not in affairs, not in pornography, but with your spouse. That's what the Bible says. And, and, and uh, I could... I, 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 I'll go on from there. I've got about three minutes, and we've got to deal with the men now. We've been talking about the women and their responsibilities. Now then, the men. Verse number seven. 
You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel since she's a woman. Grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, Peter addresses the responsibilities of the husband here. And this is different because in the society at that time, a wife had responsibilities to her husband, but the husband did not have responsibilities to his wife. So understand that within the context of what he's saying. Now, what does he say to the men? He says, first of all, be considerate of her. He says, live with her. Live with her. Now, that means more than sharing the same address. That means to spend time with her. Man, the fact is, some of you spend more time with your dog than you do your wife. You spend more time with ball games and talking about ball games and boats and all of those things than you do with your wife. Spend time with her. That's what that means. Live with her in an understanding way. And that means that you hear what she says and you know what she means. And the two ain't the same. (laughs) If she says, how do I look? She is not expecting fine. She's expecting you to say, you look beautiful. So he says, live with her in an understanding way. Be courteous in verse number 7b. Grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Grant her honor. The word honor that is used there literally means precious. Is your wife precious to you? Is she really precious to you? Does she... Now you say, you guys sit out there and shake your heads, yeah. Does she know that she's precious to you? If I ask her, what would she say? You let her speak for herself, Larry. That's what that means. Give her honor. That means you treat her as if she's precious. You respect her, respect her thoughts, her feelings, her desires, remembering all the time that we are fellow heirs. Not only we husband and wife, but we are children of God. So he says, husbands submit to Christ, wife to the husband. The wife completes her husband, and the husband cherishes his wife. Let me conclude real quickly. These words that I've read, and we're just going through the book of Peter, and uh, that's where we've come. But these words are addressed primarily to husband and wife. The challenge that we face is to treat each other biblically as husbands and wife. Barclay wrote, our relationships with God can never be right if our relationships with our fellow men are wrong. It is when we are one with each other that we are at one with him. He's writing to husbands and wives, and he gives us the challenge. And do you know something? When you build your marriage on the Word of God, it is satisfying. It is satisfying. I love Linda more today than than I did when I married her. And I thought I loved her then, but I love her much more today than when I married her. How about Abraham and Sarah? Well, I was curious about that, and I went back to Sarah died first. And the Bible says in Genesis 23, 1 and 2, Now Sarah lived 127 years, and Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. He had lost the love of his life, and he went in to mourn for her and weep for her. Folks, I need not tell you that our marriages are falling apart today. Our families are falling apart. Our Christian families are falling apart. And the reason is that we are not building our homes on the foundation of God's Word. 
It is so important that you build your marriage upon the Word of God. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Husbands, there's not anything you could do better for your wife than to be a godly man. And wives, there's nothing that you could give more important to your husband than to be a godly wife. We must return to the Word of God to build our homes. Our Father, we come to you as we prepare to go into the invitation. Lord, I lift up these families to you, moms and dads, husbands, wives, children, grandparents. I pray, Father, for those who are single. I lift them up to you. And I trust, Lord, that your word has has found lodging in hearts and minds. And that we might understand the importance of building our lives upon the foundation of your word. I pray today, Father, for those who need to begin by committing their lives to you as Lord and Savior. For others in the process who need to find a church home and become engaged in it. Father, I just pray that during this invitation time, you will be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir will sing a hymn of invitation. If you're here without Christ, let me encourage you to give your commitment to him. Submit to his lordship today. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please, as we stand together and the choir sings. You come, I'll greet you, should you. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. If the Lord is speaking to your heart and there is some commitment that you need to make or you need prayer, we have counselors standing by. They'd love to talk with you and hear from you. The number's on your screen. I hope you'll call right now. God bless you. you
I apologize that uh, we didn't have more time to speak to the men. But, you know, there was only one verse directed at men. And so, you know, we just, not that much to improve anyway, right, guys? Let me mention uh, several of our people. Matthew uh, Hurt. Where is Matthew? Where? Um, if somebody's pointing at me, I don't see anybody. We don't know where he is right now, but he was the headmaster at school, and there was an article in the paper, and so I wanted to recognize him for that. And... Then, uh, where? Oh, there he comes. He's been... <laughs> yeah, he's been playing hooky today, haven't you? <laughs> then there was an article uh, in the Baptist Courier. It has a picture of our people uh, who went on the mission trip. And so there's a good picture in there of them. I wanted to mention all of those who went on that trip. Uh, Jim Hazel, where'd Jim go? There he is, right down there. Jim, I saw this uh, article in Foundation, South Carolina Museum Foundation, and they've, they've got you featured right down there. It says, Mr. Hazel, a Clemson graduate, and it goes on to say uh, some good things about you, too. So <laughs> that is in there. And uh, then on portfolio, um, Ellen Reed, where's Ellen? Where's Ellen? There she is, right up there. That's a great picture. She's on the cover of it and a good story in there. I read the story, and so I just wanted to, uh, to mention that. So our people have been busy doing all kinds of stuff. Lindsay, where are you? Lindsay, come up here real quickly. Lindsay, uh, James is... Uh, she is the manager of our new bookstore, and you're going to have a, um, come on over, you're going to have a, a ribbon cutting this uh, next week. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's going to be Tuesday at 1.30. I want to invite everybody to come out. We're going to have some refreshments and some smoothie samples, free coffee. It's going to be real festive. The mayor's going to be here. Of course, Dr. Eastup will be there. So come out if you can. It'll be really fun. If everybody came, where would you put them? Well... I really don't think everybody will come, but oh, well, okay. I would so love it if they did much crowd the street. Right. Everybody will come out there you and go. see what's we going on. We just spill out. Yeah, exactly. Spill out. Running over. One thirty Tuesday. Yeah. A ribbon cutting. All, yes. right. All right. So we'll we'll be there and look forward to that. Now, next Sunday is the twenty fourth. Let me let me say two things. Number one, it is back to Sunday school Sunday. Won't you in Sunday school next Sunday in Bible study next Sunday? We have some really marvelous teachers. And Sunday school classes. Want you to be in there next Sunday, 9:15. Second, it is also our catch-up day on offering. Now we did great. I don't know what happened. We did great through June. And what did y'all do in July? I don't know where you went, but you didn't bring any money to the church. And so we're. We're sliding along here, and Richard and I, we just, we're feeling good. And 
Jason is feeling good. I mean, we're, we're doing good. And we're doing the best that we have done in years up through June. And then we get to July and the bottom falls out. So we're going to have to make up next week. So let me just ask you to do this. And I mean this very, very sincerely. Do everything you can next week. Just go to the Lord and trust. And, but everybody do something. Do all you can next week. And let's see if we can't get this thing back up so that Richard and I can smile again. I mean, it would make us all feel so much better, but we, we really do need to do that. Now then, college students, here's a free lunch for you. If anyone has any prayer needs, these guys with red badges on would be happy to pray for you. I think that is all, so let's stand and we'll be dismissed. Next week we'll continue our study in First Peter, so you can read ahead if you'd like, picking up where we left off, uh, but we'll continue that next week. Our gracious Lord, we come to you thanking you for the privilege of worshiping with your people. Lord, I pray that you'll protect them as they leave. Watch over them. Protect them from temptation, from sin, from harm. May they glorify you in all that they do, I ask in Christ's name.